Hi all, Courtney here coming at you with another episode of the Soma Mama podcast. For those of you who are new to the Soma Mama podcast, this was birthed from my business Soul to Soul Wellness, S-O-L-E to S-O-U-L. I've gotten in the habit of spelling it out for folks um, because the intent of my business is to be an embodied wellness collective. And this is at large due to my experiential learning and my healing process, which has included things like talk therapy, yoga therapy, shamanics, nature therapy, retreats, women's circles, opportunity for connection, and basically group therapy and sharing um, what I've experienced in this lifetime to date. And I have found really the most important thing in my healing process is naming what I'm experiencing. Be that in a physician's doctor's office and saying, hey, this is what's going on, or with a friend or with a therapist. And that's all to say, these feelings, these thoughts muster, they live inside of us and they truly, in my belief, can manifest in our bodies. And um, oftentimes in the in the healing world, you'll see disease broken down as dis, D-I-S slash ease, right? So not experiencing ease or comfort or contentment in the body. And I believe that can be both physical, that can be mental, that can be emotional, and that can be spiritual. So those are the kind of four pillars and components uh, here at Soul to Soul Wellness. A little bit more about me, which you can go listen to my introduction um, an episode or so back. I am currently in training to be a somatic psychotherapist. So I'm one year into grad school. I'll hopefully be starting a somatic experiencing training here in a couple months. And I really pieced together both my passion for working with the body, um, such as becoming a craniosacral fascial therapist and a yoga teacher. Uh, And now I am in my training to become a talk therapist as well. Um, And just a little side note there, it's kind of a funny story. You know, I've been told my whole life, like, Courtney, you'd be a really good therapist. You'd make a really good therapist. And I've always just kind of let it slide off me or bounce back like, oh, thank you. But, you know, and I remember at one point saying like, yeah, but I do that all the time. I don't need to get paid for that, which is pretty hilarious, Um, you know, circa five or so years ago thinking like now Courtney uh yeah actually would like to get paid for that (laughs) uh seeing that that's something that you do so naturally so innately and that you really love doing and I really think at the time I was thinking of a pretty traditional role of a therapist that's stuck in a room all day long seated and I was like that does not interest me whatsoever Um, But being the willful person that I am, the innate leader, entrepreneur, I was like, you know what, I can make this whatever I want to make it, especially if I want, if I go into private practice, which is where I'm headed. Um, And, you know, I was actually just talking to my partner about this. Um, um, Some folks, you know, are happy to just hop on board working for a business or kind of being told what to do, showing up, they're great worker bees, they leave, they can check out a work, leave it there and go live their lives. I am not that person. (laughs) I will step into a a work setting and say, okay, this is what I think needs to be changed. And I do it very, I would say very kindly. Um, And it takes me a little bit to sit back, I observe, 
Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, and then I, and then I analyze. And for those of you who know human design, I am a manifesting generator. And so I'm pretty quick to know what works for me and what doesn't. And the external world, most of my life have told me like, Courtney, you seem very noncommittal, right? Cause we look at your resume and we see that you've had 10 jobs in the last, you know, seven years or less. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because I, I served my purpose there. I got what I needed from it and I, and I left. Like I'm not I'm not going to stick around somewhere that induces suffering or uh that just really doesn't align and and I'm pretty quick to know um when that time is for me. And so much so that I look at other people and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, are you not questioning? Are you not are you not asking for for more?" And it's not from a sense of greed, but asking for more of yourself, right? In terms of truly be in alignment with your values, with your aspirations. And we know that those always change as humans. That is our sole job on this earth, in this world, is to continuously evolve. And what I've had to realize and learn is that some people are totally content sneaking in and into something that they know that they're going to be doing for decades. And that brings them safety and that brings them a sense of security. And I'm like, oh... Well, isn't that such a gift? Wouldn't that be so refreshing for, for me to embody? Um, but that's all to say, I'm really learning to embrace my, my manifesting generator. Um, I am a very loyal and very committal person. So I will just say that as a caveat receiving that I was from other people or the extrinsic world. I always felt like that doesn't fit. Like I'm not you know, I, I'm super faithful. I'm, I'm very loyal. Um, so anywho, there's a little bit of a, a five minute Courtney, um, ramble for you. The, the actual topic of this episode today is focusing on what it means to be a highly sensitive person or an empath. And I will say the one way I learn is through experience. And like I said, through sharing, through talking with others, um, and through really relating like, okay, this, this is these big feelings that I feel, or this is this thing that I'm experiencing. It, it's not wild, you know, it's not, I, I really don't like to use the word normal and I'm trying to find a replacement for it. So if you have any, please feel free to email me or DM me on IG. Um, I always in my head when I think of normal, like air quotes come up because I'm like, it's so subjective, right? Um, and now I've lost my train of thought. But yeah, really just relating to others in terms of, of our personal experience. So I want to share with you for me, what it's looked like being an empath, being a highly sensitive person, the edges that I've bumped up against in my growth as an individual, um, and this will date back to childhood. And I'll also throw in some little nuggets, um, such as astrology, such as human design. Again, I always say I know just enough to be dangerous when it comes to these people, or comes, excuse me, comes to these things, um, but they have really helped. Uh, I think I was thinking of visiting people, like I 
psychics and tarot card readers and even yoga teachers and, and meeting other light workers and empaths and and realizing like, oh, yep, okay, they, they are my people, they see me, they understand me. Um, I do have a place in this world. So let's just settle in and take a grounding breath or two together. Close your eyes if it feels nice to do so. I always give that permission slip when closing eyes because for some people it doesn't feel safe or it doesn't feel comfortable. And I think it's really important to allow permission for eyes to stay open as well based on where an individual is physically or mentally or emotionally. So... I'm sure you can hear in my voice too. I like my energy picks up, like the ball is rolling down the mountain. And the more excited I get to, to share something, to talk about something. And when doing so, my nervous system can get very activated and it really helps me as well to stop talking, take a step back, figuratively speaking, and take a deep breath right into my belly, right into my heart space. And immediately it just sends my nervous system a reminder that we are safe and we're loved and we are well taken care of. Mm. And that's a message for all of you as well. So I am going to intuit if you landed here at the Soma Mama podcast, you likely have some innate aspect to you that is highly sensitive, that is very empathic, that is very thoughtful and introspective. Um, maybe you're not anything, any of those things, but you have an innate interest in, in the body and somatic work. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for arriving and being here with me today. Okay, so I'll start by saying that I was born in the month of July, which in the astrological world means that I am a Cancer sun. There are three water signs in the astrological chart, and they are Cancers, they are Scorpios, the month of November, and they are Pisces, the month of March. Okay, typically water signs are the most emotional signs. That said, Scorpios, Cancers, and Pisces evoke and process their emotions in different ways. From what I know, this is kind of how I see it. Cancers are more outward, meaning they're going to cry easier. They're going to um, evoke an emotion pretty pretty like on the spot, autonomic. Um Pisces are more inward, they're reflective, they like to journal, they like to kind of process their emotions on their own. Um, two of my very, very best friends are Pisces, they were actually born on the same day, and um, you know, they have so much emotion, and, and it's, you know, it's in my cancer nature to be like, let's talk about it, let's, and they're like, Court, I, I like that, but that's not my innate way of processing, and I'm like, oh, right, um, and then Scorpios, which another one of my very dear friends is, and I have a family member that's a Scorpio, they're both, I would say. So 
you know, people know Scorpios to breathe. They, they typically say they're hot and cold. And, and I think Scorpios can get a bad rap. Um, I'm a Scorpio rising sign. So also double water energy, lots of emotion. Um, so that also might be part of my like outward um, desire to share. Although I would say I'm a very inward, highly introspective person as well. Um, to complete the the moon and sun and rising sign, my my moon is a Virgo, um, which also ties into the thinking brain, earth energy, the need for detail and order. Anywho, um, yes, so... Anyway, those are the three astrological signs that are very emotional. Okay, so as a child, I would cry at the drop of a hat. You know, I anyone who used a stern voice with me, immediately I would start crying. And one of the stories we share in our family often is I was, my parents were out of town and they left me with my aunt and uncle who I, they, I mean, they're, they're my second set of parents that grew up just a few blocks away from them. And they were younger at the time, in the, in their twenties, um, spending a weekend uh, with me. And my uncle, I was about to do something like touch a hot stove, um, something that was like causing imminent danger to to me and to my well being. And he goes, Courtney, no. And for any of you who share this with me, you might your your eyes might be welling up right now. Uh, just as that autonomic response and um yeah immediately started crying and then I and this may have been my Scorpio who knows I gave him the cold shoulder I was like you no you and I we no we don't get along anymore like I do not trust you I do not like you and my aunt goes my uncle and he she was like you can't talk to her that way and he was like I I'm sorry but she was going you know she was in danger and she and then for the rest of the time I wanted nothing to do this was like a weekend you know nothing to do with my uncle and I just clung clung to my aunt um so I talked to mamas who have cancer kiddos um like astrological cancer sign kiddos and they um they say that they, you know, if you tell them they have to play with a different toy, they start crying and, you know, they'll, they're just very sensitive beings. And I actually want to pause, um, and, and just bring a great bout of mindfulness and, um, compassion to, to, to when I say cancer, because I know, um, that might be a whole different weight and different energy for everyone. Um, and that's, I don't, that's not something I, usually outwardly speak of but I often think about when I say my sun sign and I always feel like I have to say like you know my astrological sun sign um I know cancer and as it as a disease has impacted so many so many folks um in our world and it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and those who can defeat cancer it's it's invigorating and incredible and tumultuous and all of those things um I have had family members with cancer both survive and pass away and so I just want to take a moment to bring a sense of grievance there um yeah to its unpredictable nature and 
the heartbreak it leaves loved ones with. I wasn't anticipating for that to surface, but I feel like it, it needed to. So, sending a big belly breath, an energetic hug to all of you who have been impacted by cancer, be it individually or through love, the experience of a loved one. And for those who have passed on, whose spirits are guiding us and looking over us, I, I send light from my heart space to them as I know that they are circulating around us each moment of every day. Wow, suddenly talking about highly sensitive people feels fairly insignificant, (laughs) but we will proceed. So heading into childhood, um, a lot of the similar behaviors um, were evoked due to my highly sensitive nature. And as, right, there's a certain age, I would say threshold, where even as as if, female body person in society you know it's so it's more appropriate for us to evoke emotion there's a certain age where it's like knock that off stop crying you don't need to cry about that you know and um I think to some extent be it not your parents maybe a family member or a teacher or a coach who's a little bit more tough love oriented who's just told you like don't cry or stop crying and so I the age of eight is coming to mind where really that's when I started to receive messaging around like you Courtney don't cry like don't you're not allowed to cry stop crying this isn't a context to cry um and I actually remember I can even think back to a very young young age thinking like well when I if I cry I'll I'll either get attention or I'll get what I want or I will receive help and even as a kiddo who you know had full language and could express my feelings it was really 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 hard for me and I can think back to actually a project we had to do on an animal in third grade and um, I can I still know my third grade teacher's name I, I won't share it but she was so lovely and um, I picked an arctic white fox to do my report on and I had a vision for for this research project and we had to like you know I think print out a paragraph and a picture and like put it on a piece of construction paper and I just I cared so much about it and I wasn't and still am an academic but I cared so much about it but I got so stressed out that it just started I was in class in front of my teacher I just started sobbing and it wasn't my project wasn't complete yet I just started sobbing and and bless her heart she really she really took me in and heard me and was like wow you know she must she must really need some support and really care about this and you know she was able to kind of talk me off the ledge and and really support me and and making a kick-ass arctic fox project um but that was a defining moment especially in academics and I kid you not fast forward to college going into my professor's office hours I would have to tell myself when these were in moments of high stress like I either did poorly on a test or didn't understand the content we were learning 
And I really have to work myself up to say, okay, Courtney, you're going to go to office hours. You're going to ask for help. It's okay. It's okay. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. And pretty much inevitably, every time I'd step into those office hours and immediately started crying. And there's a couple defining moments, but one of them I'll share was um, in my genetics class. Also a female professor, incredible human being. And um, I ended up walking away from genetics with a C, but I did terribly on the test. And I, what was so troublesome is I really liked the content and I had a really hard time on her tests. They were all like um, open-ended answer questions. And so you had to, you had to really know yourself to be able to regurgitate it and spit it back out on paper. Um, and I had a really hard time. And so I think it was like one of the final tests. It wasn't the final test, but the test before the final where I came in and, and I just, you know, I just let loose. I just started crying and I was like, I don't even mean to be crying. I just, I really don't understand. And I, and I, and I'm, having a hard time because I feel like I do and then I get to the test and I don't do well and you know she was like Courtney I had no idea like thank you for coming in and thank you for sharing and let and I was like you know at this point I just I just need to see <laughs> like I'll take it I don't want to fail this class and um she's like okay we'll do whatever we need to do to to help you moving forward and um again to to like meet those angels along the way especially the teachers I've had numerous like way more incredible teachers than not which I feel so so blessed for um yeah to just hear me out and and support me and in my growth and in my in my trials um so so that was college um I will share another defining moment which was paired with a lot of emotions um I I went well going into college I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician so as I was on the pre-med track so sophomore year I took OCHEM I I took a full schedule I was taking six classes I had recently joined a a sorority I was in like x y and z clubs um and I was failing OCHEM (laughs) I was doing fine in the lab. I was in the lab and loved the hands-on learning. I had an A, but the lecture I was struggling in. And that was a class where I was like, I'm, I'm going to fail this. I know I'm going to fail this. And um, it was a week before the final. And I just had, I had two high school acquaintances pass away in, in the same week it was just a rough period, and I, I got my OCHEM test back, which was right before the final, um, completely bombed it, and I just walked out of class trembling, and I remember one of my friends being like, Courtney, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, and all I wanted to do was run away. I was like, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. So I walked my butt through campus, sobbing, trembling, holding this test into the counseling center, and was like, I need help. I need help. And in that very moment, it was an opportunity for me to share the passing of my of my friends. Um, and for context, there they were they were friends who I'd grown up with because I'm from a very small town, and so everybody knows everyone. And and even throughout high school, we had you know separated and and you know created different friend groups. It was still like I'd grown up with these two individuals since childhood, and it was it hit me really hard. And so visiting the counseling center gave me an opportunity to to talk about that 
Um, and also make the request, like, I, I need to, I need to be out of OCHEM. Like, I can't. And it was, we had just the final left. It was in a week. And um, I was like, nope, I bow out. I can't, can't do it. Um, and again, by the grace of a higher spirit, my, um, the counseling center was like, okay, we've never done this before. We, we haven't helped out a student withdraw from a class a week before the final, but we are going to see what we can do for you. And, um, luckily this Dean of students was also one of my mentors, um, in my like intro to biology class. And so we already had had built a relationship and she was like, all right, like stamp of approval, no problem. Um, again, so much blessings, privilege and gratitude goes out to that experience. Um, but I will say I won't completely undermine myself in that I sought out help, you know, and I remember even calling my mom walking across campus, like test is in hand. I'm trembling, like just inconsolable. And she was like, Court, like there is nothing I can do for you, you know? And it was from a place of like, I hear you, honey, and I want to support you. And you know, I'm miles away. Like I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. Um, you know, and that was also an extra kick in the butt to say, okay, Courtney, like you got to make this request yourself. You got to figure this out. Um, and so yes, that also, I tend to in those moments and still to this day, when I have a faulty experience or when I feel that I've taken too much on and I've reap the consequences of that right away my inner critic kicks in and it's she's like Courtney what do you you know very critical parent like voice in my head that's like you know better why do you make this choice what are you doing blah 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 you know like you knew all along like and you're just now advocating for yourself and I share that because that's the realness and in my head right and so much of my healing and and growth and learning has come from being able to stop that inner critic voice and say you you know now and you did what you needed to do okay full stop end of story and I want to really make that clear to all of you listening because it's important to give yourself that grace, that pat on the back, and that sense of affirmation as well. Even in those moments where it feels like we're banging our head against a brick wall, we've gone down a similar path, we, you know, the similar outcome has happened time and time again. It's like, okay, I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to use this as a learning opportunity, and I am going to hope that I make a different choice in the future. And sometimes it, it does take repeated outcome to really um really give us the really kick in the bum to to repattern and and to make a truly a different choice next time um I want to rewind really just to my high school years because um I skipped over those um yes so my emotion in high school heightened sense of emotion um, it manifested in three ways, people pleasing, using performance, especially in academics as affirmation for my worth and my well-being, and then three panic attacks. Okay. So 
I would say I was a people pleaser to a T and I was also a peacemaker in high school. So I like to be friends with everyone, but I also think I put this self-protective kind of cloak up where I was like, but not too close. Like, I'm not really going to let you in fully, but, but I want to know you. And I never wanted to upset or hurt anyone. And as we know, in high school with the click culture, it's like, you know, people couldn't like you for no good reason. And so I always, like, I would bring baked goods to school. I would, I just wanted to, to really, I wanted people to like me. Um, and you know, that sounds shallow to stay. And then I'm just going to name that because I think that we all experience this in some way or another. And I think what I didn't realize at the time was Courtney, people can like you without you giving them baked goods, right? They love the baked goods. It's appreciated, but they also like you showing up to school with no baked goods in your hands. Um, for those of you who know me, bake, baking is also a love language of mine. So <laughs> there's that. I did it out of joy and also out of, um, I call it productive procrastination in high school when I didn't want to work on homework or study for a test. I would bake. I would stress bake. Um, and then I would just bring all those baked goods to school. So, so yeah, so people pleasing. Um, and then like perfectionism and achievement was just hugely manifested from this deep place of, of like, of deep care and, and wanting to be affirmed for my, again, my existence, my worth. Um, and scholastics were a great way for me to do that in sports to an extent. But once I figured out I was better at school, that became my area for, um, extrinsic validation. And then lastly, panic attacks. So those started coming around junior, senior year of high school. Again, when you have a panic attack for the first time, you're like, what in HE double hockey six is happening to, happening to me? What is going on? And um, it, I can remember one panic attacks, well, two specifically, actually, they were, they stemmed from the stress of school. So like at one time I had three tests in one day and I, my entire being my soma my mind my psyche was like nope we're exiting the building literally and I started having a panic attack at school um right when I got there right before any of the three tests happened and bless my best friend's soul she she was 18 at the time so she could check us out of school so she signed us out of school and we went to her her house and just sat, I just sat on the floor and just cried and um, skipped school for the entire day, didn't take the test, which is unlike me. Um, but in that opportunity, or I mean, in that situation, it gave me the opportunity to know that like, all things are impermanent. <laughs> and at the end of the day, court, three high school tests are not going to make or break your future. And I was able to reschedule all my tests and none of my teachers were complete hard asses. And um, you know, and it was fine, and I did well. And do I think about the outcome of those three tests in high school now? Absolutely not. Um, and the other panic attack that I remember that was huge. I was at home. I was procrastinating, <laughs> and um, I had this huge calculus packet that was due. That I was supposed to be doing all Christmas break, and I it was a day before, and I had to complete it all. 
and I felt so stressed out. And I remember my mom being like, Courtney, have you started it? And I just baked literally every, everything under the sun. Cookies, brownies, Rice Krispie treats, everything. It was all, it was all splayed out on the kitchen table. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a little run. And then I come, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do my homework. So I went for a run, literally around the block. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so, why am I so winded? I can't even run. I can't even run. And I, I like basically just turned around the corner ran back home and then I got home and I was in full-blown panic attack mode and I my mom was like oh my god what's happening and she immediately got a wet towel and put it behind my neck and then got a bucket of water she was like put your feet in the bucket and then put your head below your heart (laughs) which that was just what she told me to you know that's what she told me to do at the time um, I remember it felt weird, but it was able, I was able to calm down and I was able to complete my calculus, pack it on time. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty big stuff, pretty big emotions. Um, and I remember intrinsically feeling like this is me, like this is not the panic attacks and not those, you know, those defining moments, but like these big, strong emotions are me and I'm living in this world where I'm, where I'm constantly told they're not allowed or, or I don't have, there's not a place for them. And it wasn't like, like both of my parents are highly emotive people as well. So it wasn't like, it wasn't something they knew, um, and they didn't, it's not like I couldn't talk about my feelings or emotions, but I remember intrinsically feeling like I, I can't express them in a way that they'll feel understood or heard. Um, so as for sharing them and how that translates to counseling and talk therapy, I went to counseling for the first time when I was 12 years old um, for an eating disorder that I was battling at the time. And... I will say outright, the counselor was not a good fit. My mom knew that she had, you know, been recommended her through our pediatrician, but, but she got me through, you know, and I didn't have to be hospitalized and, um, going to my routine. Mom would drop me off at counseling. I would go by myself. That was what I requested unless otherwise, unless I asked for mom to be there. And then she would take me to Starbucks and we get like a big, vanilla bean frappuccino (laughs) and it was a way for me to get some calories in my body and it was what I wanted and you know and um and that that kind of became my path to I would say getting better um the eating disorder like the way that it overcame my psyche took a while um to heal from and and it's still right it's similar to addiction and that is just something that you choose every day to to battle those thoughts and to overcome them and to defeat the beast so I will say that's you know it's still a part of my everyday existence um and I'm so grateful for the tools I've built around cooking and nutrition and nutritional knowledge and I have a sister who is a health coach and we can talk so openly um, about that. Another sister who will, it just has the biggest heart in the whole wide world and will hear me out anything, um, that I experience. Um, yeah. And between truly mine, it makes me emotional, but my mom and my sisters were like, they were my accountability buddies going through my eating disorders when I was a young teenager. Um, so much so that like mom would ask my older sisters to be at home so that they could 
when I was home after school, you know, if she was working so that they could keep an eye on me and just thinking of like, you know, they were teenagers, they wanted to live their lives, but that was the sacrifice that they made. Um, I remember distinctly one time, like my mom had made a, a meal of like chicken and like broccoli with cheese on it and some brown rice. And, um, it was a battle, but she and my sister sat down with me and basically waited until I, I didn't have to eat at all, but until I took a few bites, um, and I just sat there for the whole time and that was pretty groundbreaking. Um, again, didn't think that this would surface today around my battles with eating disorders, but, um, it's something so important to be named and to be shared. And I know so many, so many women, especially battle eating disorders or disordered eating, um, in some way, shape or form. And yeah, it's scary and it's tough and yeah, everything under the sun. Um, so I'll just allow, wrap it up by saying Courtney, adult Courtney and how I manage my emotions. So there's been other times where I have sought out therapy as well. And it's yeah, my other time was at age 24 when like, huh, interesting, like cycles happen for me in 12 years. And 12 is also a very important number to me. Um, it's actually the day that I was born on too. So yeah, I was always like my athletic number in, in organized sports. So it's interesting, but, um, yeah. So like going to therapy and going to counseling is not, not, was never really a turnoff for me. It always felt innately right. And I'm, I'm grateful for that, for that intuition and that wisdom within. It was always felt supported and, um, and in my partnership now it does if, you know, if I feel like I need some support and, um, yeah, when I was six months postpartum, I, I met with a counselor for a bit to just talk about that experience. And, you know, I'd moved across the country and it felt, it, it felt hard. It felt hard being disconnected from family and having a little one and kind of finding my way, navigating through a pandemic, all new things, right. Happening all at once. Um, which in the moment I didn't really, I was like, I could do this. I'm, you know, I have the grit, I have the strength. I, I, you know, I can do it. And then really in hindsight, I was like, wow, all of that felt really hard. <laughs> um, and it actually sounds crazy, but I, it took until six months postpartum for me to actually have like a big cathartic cry. And even my partner was like, Courtney, you haven't cried in a while. And I was like, damn, like, I I felt that, I really felt that strong mama bear energy who wanted to be strong for everyone, and, um, yeah, so I just suppressed all of my emotion, which is something that I also tend to do, apologies, my recording device just fell, so if you heard a rattle, that was why, um, so I have learned, I will even say moving over to the East Coast has created this kind of thick skin mentality. Um, whereas I tell myself cognitively, like, Courtney, this is not about emotion. This is the logical matter. Leave emotion out of it. And it's funny because some people are like, 
the complete opposite. They're like, I'm so heady. I'm so logical. I, I, I want to be more emotive. Right. And it's hard for me. Um, and you know, in some way that feels like I'm going against the grain, like in terms of my intuition, cause I'm like, that's your gift court. You are highly emotive. That's okay. Embrace it. Um, and I do, I really, really, really do. And there's times where now I can discern, like, is this going to serve you or not to bring deep, deep emotion into it? Like, okay, maybe not, you know, maybe in this conversation with your partner, leave emotion out of it and just handle logistics, right? If we're talking about parenting or whatever. Um, so again, I'm going to, I'm wrapping it up. Um, the concluding element here is really what I said at the beginning around sharing is what I can do and sharing through experience is what I know. And um, I hope that this helped any of you who feel that you resonate with the, the term or the label highly sensitive person or empath and, and feels like you're navigating this world that's already big and overwhelming and scary at times. And you're navigating that with big huge emotions as well which can certainly heighten the experience uh, so I do have an abundance of resources um, around highly sensitive being um, please 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 don't hesitate to reach out my in- email is info at soul to soul wellness again s-o-l-e to s-o-u-l and um, my instagram is soul to soul wellness LLC. So please find me there. Um, Thank you so much for listening. You'll hear from me again soon and uh, have a great day or evening whenever you listen to this. All right. See ya.